Hello, and welcome to the Bible Difficulties and Answers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Smith. Today, we explore a verse that gives a potentially contradictory account of the first creation story in Genesis 1. We'll look at different Bible translations and commentaries to solve this apparent contradiction, and in the process, discover if the desire is to actually create an accurate rendering of the scripture or to advance a preferred political narrative. And lastly, we'll see how an obscure English grammar tense of pluperfect may very well solve any and all problems associated with this verse. Bear with me here and don't get lost in some of these obscure terms as we move along. It really is interesting and quite frankly, a very simple solution to the scripture dilemma. As usual, I'll present a number of different opinions from my research and conclude with my own thoughts. Show notes will include links to all we discuss. Are you ready to dive in? All right, let's learn together. Genesis 2.19, and we'll use the New Living Translation here. And I quote, So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. Close quote. Okay, now this sounds simple. God formed from the ground all the wild animals and birds and brought them to the man, Adam, to name. But in Genesis 1, we read where the animals were created before humans. All right, let's dive in a little deeper here. And we'll go to the big book of Bible difficulties for the problem. And I quote, In Genesis 1 declares that the animals were created before humans. But Genesis 2.19 seems to reverse this, saying, The Lord God formed every beast of the field, now that's from another Bible translation, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, implying Adam was created before they were, close quote. So to further define the problem here, let's begin with a Bible translation popular with academics and many liberal theologians, the New Revised Standard Version. Their commentary on this verse gives the clearest explanation of the problem here, though it intentionally leaves out any solution. Here, the New Revised Standard Version makes God out to be nothing more than hilariously inept, and I quote from their biblical commentary as follows, Yet the Lord God here contrasts with the all-powerful deity depicted in chapter 1. The Lord God creates the animals in a comical, failed attempt to make a helper for the human that corresponds to him, close quote. All right, back to me. Do you see what they're saying here? An all-powerful, all-knowing God is just trying his best to decide a helper for Adam and the animals and birds. And for some reason, he just can't get this right, and he keeps failing and failing. And, you know, at times it makes me wonder what God, the New Revised Standard Version, actually believes in. The New Revised Standard Version does not, again, attempt to offer a solution to this apparent discrepancy, it just offers an ad hominem attack against God, and then it moves on. So we're still left with an apparent contradiction, and a glance at a popular Bible translation offers no solution other than an attack on a comical and failing God. Let's go now to the big book of Bible difficulties for our first potential solution here on how they resolve Genesis 1 and 2. And I quote, Genesis 1 gives the order of events. Genesis 2 provides content about them. Genesis 2 does not contradict chapter 1, since it does not affirm exactly when God created the animals. He simply says he brought the animals, which he had previously created, to Adam so that he might name them. The focus in chapter 2 is on the naming of the animals, not on creating them. Genesis 1 provides the outline of events, and chapter 2 
gives details. Taken together, the two chapters provide a harmonious and more complete picture of the creation events. The difference can be summarized as follows. Genesis 1, chronological order. Genesis 2, topical order. Genesis 1, outline. Genesis 2, details. Genesis 1, creating animals. Genesis 2, naming animals. All right, back to me. Now, I think the big book of Bible difficulties is odd to something here, but I think its solution of harmonizing the accounts between Genesis 1 and 2, and while accurate, may not be completely necessary. That being said, they do have company with this type of explanation. From the website Reasons to Believe, we have an article titled, Doesn't Genesis 2 Contradict Genesis 1? Now, this article echoes the solution from the Big Book of Bible Difficulties, and I quote, The former is largely chronological, giving a broad outline of major events. Genesis 2 narrows in on humanity and human relationships. Genesis 1 gives a grand narrative announcing God is the creator of the universe, outlining preparation of earth as a home for humanity, and ending with creation of humans, male and female, in God's image. Genesis 2 provides additional details about the creation of the first humans and their relationships, first to the plant and animal kingdoms, and then to one another and God. In Genesis 1, the author uses repeated phrases as a helpful framework, whereas in Genesis 2, the author describes various features of the environment and human activity without specific chronological markers. Stated another way, Genesis 1 gives a summary of humanity's creation, and Genesis 2 describes and expands upon the same event with far more detail. Okay, but for those who are wondering why it's important anyway for Adam to go and name the animals, the MacArthur Study Bible gives us the answer. John MacArthur helpfully adds, Here the Lord God was calling attention to the fact that he created them out of the ground as he did man. But man, who is a living soul in the image of God, was to name them, signifying his rule over them, close quote. All right, back to me. Now, we know why it was important for God to have Adam name the animals. And let's keep diving in. You heard me speak about the apparent contradiction and that there really is no need to harmonize Genesis 1 and 2. It can easily be solved by the English grammar term pluperfect. Now, hang with me here and don't get lost on that word and several other Hebrew words. I'll attempt to make it easy to understand and why it's necessary with the Hebrew Genesis was written in. And specifically, two Hebrew words here, weyiktal and weyer. Let's first look at the research here and why we've come to the English grammar term pluperfect. In an April 28, 2021 article by Jonathan McClatchy called A Matter of Days, Interpreting the First Chapter of Genesis, he writes, the other contradiction that is sometimes alleged is that Genesis 2.19 indicates that the creation of animals took place after mankind was on the scene, as suggested by some translations. However, Collins argues that the Hebrew verb ought to be rendered by the pluperfect had formed, which resolves this problem. Now, the Collins he refers to here is C. John Collins from his 1995 article, The Way Tall as Pluperfect When and Why. Okay, so now we need to define weyiktal and pluperfect so we can see where I'm going here. The weyiktal form is one of the most common verbal forms in the Hebrew Bible and denotes a simple action that occurred in the past. The reason this Hebrew definition is important is that this verse begins with the three Hebrew words, weyer Yahweh Elohim. 
Weyer here actually defines an event that happened in the past. Okay, so now we have the Hebrew grammar of the first word describing an event that happened in the past. Okay, does that make sense? The first word describes an event that's already occurred. All right, let's take a look at our second word we need to define, which is pluperfect. The Oxford Dictionary describes the pluperfect as something in the past perfect tense. Okay, what does that mean? Its meaning is denoting an action completed prior to some past point of time, either specified or implied. Therefore, the Hebrew verb used in Genesis 2.19 gives us the answer. The animals had formed or were formed prior to bringing them to Adam. Just as the most accurate Bible translations go back to the earliest sources, understanding the correct Hebrew words and its usage helps clear up so many Bible difficulties. Now, there is a lot of strong biblical scholarship that's occurring right now, and recent scholarship is coming around to this point as well. Richard Peachy, in his June 25th, 2019 article, Blue Perfect, The Right Solution for the Genesis 2.19 Problem, summarizes with this. In light of the foregoing discussion, I argue that a reasonable reader would easily understand the narrative of Genesis 2 to be an elaboration of certain aspects of chapter 1 would note the variety of lexical and conceptual connections between the chapters and would spot the apparent discrepancy and would realize that Genesis 2.19 must be referring back to earlier creation events detailed in chapter 1, thus justifying the use of the pluperfect when translating the Hebrew into English or any other language that has a pluperfect form available. Close quote. Now, I agree, and it sounds simple. So why isn't it? Personally, I believe the reason there is confusion here is the wrong interpretation for so many Bible translations. But now we are in a place where we can read an accurate Bible translation that eliminates any contradiction between Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, so let's go back to the verse and read it with how the Hebrew verb tense would render it with an accurate translation. Now, the New International Version absolutely nails it and gets it right here on Genesis 2.19. And I quote, Now, the Lord God had formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name, close quote. All right, back to me. I think this makes the verse so much easier to understand. It completely respects the original Hebrew and helps solve what was an apparent Bible contradiction. That is why it's so vitally important to study Bible translations of different verses to understand it properly. Now, just from today's podcast, we found that understanding the original Hebrew and its usage, how it fits into English grammar and the correct term, leading to a proper translation, and reading it correctly helps solve any apparent discrepancies. Also today, we found that all Bible translations are not created equally. While we find the New Living Translation easy to understand, in this particular instance, it's a bit incomplete. We also found that the New International Version absolutely spot on on the Hebrew in, in its translation, helping eliminate any of the apparent contradictions we discussed earlier. Lastly, we found the New Revised Standard Version and its commentary simply and clumsily inserting politics where none exist in its desire to create a comically inept and failing guide. So, bottom line, always be aware of the Bible translations pastors or teachers use to explain certain aspects of the Bible to determine if their desire is to be more political than scripturally accurate in their explanations and public pronouncements. 
Now, next week, we have an extremely interesting verse as we look at Genesis 3, 5. Is man made like God or does he become like God? You may reach out to us at our website, bibledifficultiesandanswers.podbean.com, or you may reach out to me directly at our email address, bibledifficultiesandanswers at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, fits of righteous indignation, or just to say hi. Also, please like and subscribe to this podcast, and also write a review and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or your podcast venue of choice. It really does help get the word out about the most amazing book ever written. Again, I'm Lance Smith. Until next time, I wish you good luck, good health, and God bless. So long, everybody.